Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 6, verse 1 to 11. You can also follow along on page 8 of your bulletin. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus asked them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all, and he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> For the past month, we've been looking at uh, the life of Jesus through the gospel according to Luke. And we learned so far that much more than an outward revolution, following Jesus as your king, following Jesus as Lord, uh, causes an inward revolution of the soul, a complete transformation of the soul. Jesus Christ becomes the Lord of your life. And this passage says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. What that means is, I am the Lord over your rest. In Exodus chapter 20, God commands, obey the Sabbath. Keep it holy, set it apart. So there are four things we're gonna learn today. We're gonna learn why we need rest, what it is, where do you get it, how do you apply it? Why do we need it, what is it, where do you get it, where do you find it, how do you apply it, how do you practice it? First, we're gonna look at why do we need it. In verses one to two, it's a Sabbath. And Jesus and his disciples, they're gleaning through the grain field. What they mean is that they're picking and eating the grain. And the Pharisees, they condemn them uh, for working on the Sabbath because they were manually processing the grain. And notice, Jesus doesn't respond by saying, the Son of Man does away with the Sabbath. Rather, he says in verse 5, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the King of the Sabbath, the authority over your rest. And so on one hand, Jesus, he affirms the law. He affirms the Sabbath. But on the other hand, he says the Sabbath and the Sabbath laws, your Sabbath rest points to me. Now, one of the most crucial uh, needs in life is to grasp the relationship between our work and our rest. Today, I mean, we are miserable. We are exhausted because we're not getting enough rest. Our relationship with our work is just completely thrown off kilter. And, and we think that to rest then means I need to take a nap. I need to get more sleep. I need to go on vacation. But the ancients knew better. The ancients knew way better. They knew that work could be easily abused. And when you abuse your work, it become, you become a slave to that work. The ancients knew that work was important on one hand. But that endless need to complete your work, that endless need to succeed, that endless need to achieve, 
if you don't bring that under control, the ancients knew that that work will control you and it could ruin your marriages, it could ruin your families, it could ruin your finances and your character and your health. And so they knew, the ancients knew that it takes a tremendous amount of discipline, which we don't have. It takes a tremendous amount of maturity to obey the Sabbath, so much so that they established, you see, the Pharisees, what they did was they developed a system of 635 laws to adhere closely to the Ten Commandments. One of those commandments is the Sabbath. And so there was a system of man-made laws. They developed and established these man-made laws to keep the Sabbath. What am I saying here? If you're honest with yourself, you would say that there's an imbalance in your life, largely driven by your work. And the Bible is saying, contrary to the rest of the world, contrary to the rest of society, that is not a sign of strength. That is a sign of weakness, that you're so driven by your work. And I understand. I understand. It's difficult. Look, before becoming a full-time minister, I was, in the, I was a professional working in, in marketing for 27 years in marketing technology. And so I understand uh, one of the biggest questions that I had throughout my career was what is the relationship between work and rest for a Christian? Especially like me, I'm an overworker by nature. It's very difficult. And it's, it's difficult, especially in today's context. Why? I'm going to give you some reasons. One, because of the ebb and flow of our economy. Pretty obvious, our jobs are never secure. Robert Reich, uh, he's a former labor secretary during President Clinton's first administration. He wrote kind of an obscure book, uh, not widely read. It was called The Future of Success. And in that book, he says that our view of work is much more dynamic than ever. You see, in traditional societies, there was a loyalty that existed between an employer and his employee. It's obviously no longer the case. In fact, today, the average tenure of employment in the United States across all industries is around four years, not even four years. I mean, if you work in tech, you know. If you work in tech, uh, it's way, way less. Secondly, especially since the pandemic or post-pandemic era, 2021 and beyond, the cost of living has increased dramatically. Are you trying to buy a house? Are you trying to buy a car, for that matter? Are you trying to save? So that pressure to work more that pressure to work longer is greater today than ever. Thirdly, there's a wage gap. There's a wage disparity between people at the top who run corporations and industries and people at the bottom who are just starting out. And in the, in the, traditionally, that wage gap was about 10 to 15 times. Today, we're looking at 100 to 200 times of a gap. It's that much greater. So there's an even greater uh, pressure for people who are starting out in their careers to work and be just, they're just desperate to move up as quickly as possible to close that gap. Fourthly, and all the more because of our, our current circumstances, we live in a remote culture. And although a lot of companies today now are pulling back a bit, technology now enables us to work anywhere, anytime. We're constantly working. Five, I mean, look at our society. Traditional societies, they found meaning through families. Have a large family, have a nice family, have a good family, but today, we define ourselves, we find our identities through our work, through our careers, through our professions. And look, this is number six, uh, we live in a world that doesn't believe in God. 
And scholars say that the more you push God to the periphery, and it's not just Christian scholars saying this, secular scholars are saying the same thing, that God has been pushed to the periphery of society. And the more you do that, on one hand, you're going to experience greater individual autonomy over your life. But on the other hand, that's the reason why society in many ways is fragmented more than ever in history. More than ever in the history of our culture, society has become fragmented, and the concept of family even has become atomized. It's become less important. We're having less children than ever before, and children are leaving the home quicker than ever before, and we're pouring more and more of our energy, that extra energy that we have, we're pouring it into our work. I'm going to say it like this. Today, we say, God is the problem. It really just say the church is the problem. Don't let the church rule your life. But those very people also say, don't tell me how to live my life. The only, uh, you know, I'm the only one who gets to say what I can and cannot do with my wealth, with my time, with my work, with my body. And those people are usually slaves to their work. Why? Because seven, it's the heart. It's spiritual. The Bible says that work existed before sin ever came into the world. Genesis chapter two, what do you see? Well, first of all, Genesis chapter one, what do you see? God, and he's working. God is working. And in Genesis chapter two, you see there's creation, there's paradise, the world is complete. And yet, Adam had a job. Adam was ruling. Adam was serving. And yet, because of our sin, when we chose to distance ourselves from God, work became broken. Work became a burden, and ever since then, ever since the Garden of Eden, we've been overworking, desperate to define ourselves through our work. In the early 80s, there was a, a great movie, an Oscar winner called The Chariots of Fire. I've quoted it several times in, in, in our sermons. Uh, it's a true story about Eric Liddell. He was a Scottish Olympian. He was a Christian. And there's this one scene where he's walking with his sister, and his sister asks him, why do you run? Why do you enjoy running? And Eric Linhull, he, he, he responds, I believe that God has made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Now, you need to know that Eric Little, uh, eventually he wins the gold medal in the 400 meter in the 1924 Paris Olympics. It's a true story. But his best race, what he trained all his life for was the 100 meter. He was favored to win that race in 1924, but he refused to run. You know why? Because the race was held on a Sunday. He was a Christian. Later on, after winning the gold medal, he, go, he goes to China. He becomes a missionary, and that's where he dies. Now, in this movie, Eric Little, he, he's juxtaposed by a man by the name of Harold Abrams. Harold Abrams, he's just obsessed. He's desperate to beat Eric Little. And, and he tells his friend Audrey before this race, I will raise my eyes and look down the corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? Is that you? Is that how you view your work? I mean, this is Philadelphia. You need a Rocky quote. Why does Rocky have to train? Why does Rocky just have to fight? He says, he's not even trying to win. Have you seen the original movie? He says, I just want to go the distance. Then I will know that I'm not just a bum, another bum from the neighborhood. Is that you? Is that why you work? To prove yourself? Adonis Creed in the movie Creed, why does he have to fight? He says, to prove that I'm not a mistake. And so he's working and he's slaving to prove himself. Is that you? 
is that your view of work more than ever in the history of our society, there's a deep need for the rest of the soul. That's why we need it. Now, secondly, what is it? What is rest? What is the Sabbath? In verse 2, the Pharisees, they approach Jesus, and they basically say, hey, you're violating the Sabbath. And Jesus responds in verses 3 to 5, well, David, he entered the house of God when his companions were hungry, and uh, they took the consecrated bread, and they ate what was lawful only for priests, but they weren't priests. He was referencing uh, a narrative, something that happened in 1 Samuel chapter 21 in the Old Testament. He uses that as a precedent. And Jesus says, David was never condemned for that. Even though he broke the law, he was never condemned. And he basically says, in the same way, I'm setting these Sabbath laws aside. Let's be clear. Jesus never says, he never sets aside the moral law, the Ten Commandments as an example. He never sets it aside. Even the Sabbath. He doesn't say, I'm abolishing the Sabbath. Then how does he set aside the Sabbath law? And and this is how, whenever you see Jesus setting aside a law, it's because it was a man-made law. It was a ceremonial law, a ritualistic law. And those laws, he knew, those laws were provisional. What that means is, it, it, it means that these laws, they expire in a sense. When something comes and makes them obsolete, they're a kind of a placeholder, a pointer, a signpost for the real thing to come. And in verse five, Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, violate the law, I invented it. I'm here to fulfill it. He's claiming to be God. What he's saying is, I'm the one to whom the Sabbath laws point. They're about me. They point to me. They've been society, culture, people have been longing for the true thing to come, and now I'm here. These Sabbath laws, they were designed to force you to rest, but because I'm here, these laws are now obsolete. I'm here to give you the only rest that you need. In Genesis chapter 1, there's creation. God himself is working. And after each day of creation, God sees, he looks at what he created, and he says what? He says, it is good. Day one, he creates. And then he says at the end, it is good. Day two, he creates, and it was good. Day three, he creates, and it was good. Day four, he creates, and it was good. Day five, he creates, and it was good. And you get to the end of Genesis chapter one, day six, God takes a step back and he looks at everything that he's created. And he says, it's very good. I'm blessed to see this. It's the benediction, the good word. And so God blesses the seventh day, he rests. He makes it holy. He sets it apart. That's the Sabbath. What does it mean to rest? It's to be able to look at your work day by day. Every day, it was good. Day two, it's good. Day three, day four, day five. And then to be able to look back on everything that you've created, everything that you've built, everything that you did, and you say, it's very good. It's finished. To be totally satisfied with what you built, with what you created. The only, it's the only way you're ever going to be able to end your work, by being satisfied with what you've done. No matter what it is that you do, no matter how well you're paid, no matter how much is left. You see, vacations and, and sleep, vacations may give you some rest. Sleep may give you physical rest, maybe. I mean, not if you have children, right? But They're not designed to give you the rest of the soul that you need. Sabbath rest is deeply soulful. 
It's an inward thing. It's an upward thing, a vertical thing. It's a discipline being to be deeply satisfied in your work, in your work that you've completed, no matter where that work is. No matter where, what the status of that work is, then what, well, then what is sin? Sin is a deep distrust in God that leads to a dissatisfaction of the soul. And so what, what it does, sin leaves you cosmically restless. You're always restless. Sin says this, well, God doesn't have my best interests in mind. I can't trust him, not in everything. So I have to take my life. This is my life. I have to take it in my hands. And so there's always more work to do. I got I to gotta build. I got I to gotta achieve. I have to success. There's, I succeed. There's more to do. That work that's due this week, that presentation that maybe you have tomorrow, that weekend getaway that you think is going to be in the place of worship, a God that wants me to worship doesn't understand the rest that I need. That's what we're saying. And sin, as a result, always preoccupies, always distracts you, always disturbs you, and always places your heart then on your work. That's why we're anxious. That's why we're depressed. That's why we're angry. Well, where do you find rest then? Number three, the author of Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, chapter four in the New Testament, he says this. He says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. What is a Christian? A Christian is someone who's able to look at your life, to look at your work the way God looked at his work. Through Jesus, you can look at yourself You can look at your life, you can look at your work and be totally satisfied, no matter what state it's in. Just as the Sabbath day that we're observing, just as the Sabbath day calls us to rest physically from our work, there's a greater Sabbath that enables us to rest spiritually from our spiritual work, that need to achieve, that need to prove ourselves And we're called to do that every day. We're called to do that every week. The Sabbath teaches us. See what worship is? You know what worship is? Instead of looking at your work and saying, I've got 45 lonely years as I stare down that corridor, 45 lonely years to justify my existence, you can say every day at the end of the day, it was good. You can say every day at the end of the week, you can say, it was very good. And worship is the culmination of that satisfaction. Even if your daily work hasn't been finished, because the ultimate work, the only work that you needed completed was finished on the cross by Jesus. And so Sabbath, the the Sabbath teaches us that we were created in the image of God. God himself worked. God himself works. God himself is a creator, but he never works to prove himself. He never works competitively. He never works out of discontent. He never works out of dissatisfaction. You were created by God, and he is deeply satisfied in his creation. That means you're not just some bum from the neighborhood. You're not some mistake. Well, why do we feel that way sometimes? You ever see Hamilton, the musical? Why does he work like he's running out of time? Why does he write like he's running out of time? In the Garden of Eden, because we chose to live apart from God, essentially what's happened was because we chose to live apart from God, we've lost our relationship with the one who created us, the one who gave us meaning, the one who instilled his meaning, his character, his image in us. And so we've lost that relationship with the creator. And so we're still creating, 
but then we've lost our sense of value. We've lost our sense of significance and worth. And so what we've done is instead of going back to the creator and saying, I need you, I need to come back to you, we decide to place our, the weight of our value, the weight of our significance and meaning on our work. And so, and it's inherent, it's intrinsic in all of us. We need to work. And we're using our work to know ourselves then. We're using the work to know our potential. We've left power and said, you know, I need, to, I need to find what kind of power I have. We've left meaning and we said, well, I need to find meaning for myself. We left the ultimate beauty and we said, well, I need to find a way to make myself feel beautiful about myself. And so it's, it's more than just an empty bank account. I mean, I get it. You need to work because you need to work to get paid. You need to pay bills. More so than an empty bank account, we're battling the emptiness of the soul. And so the problem is not the presence of work. You know, I'm busy or I, I need to be busy. Rather, it's the absence of real rest. And so what we're saying is we need work because then I'm important. I need to work here because then I feel unique. Then I feel special. A religious person says the same thing. That's how I feel acceptable. That's how I feel worthy. I need to do more. I need to show people more. I need to show people I can do more. That's how I know that I'm validated. You see, a secular person, I mean, first of all, you're not, if that's you, you're not serving God. You're serving yourself, even through the church. Now, a secular person, an irreligious person will say, well, I've got really high standards for myself. I need to achieve. I need to get here by this point in time. I need to I have those standards on other people. That way, I can say that I'm better than that person or that person's less than me, you see? And if you look at it like that, then it doesn't matter whether you're religious or not. They're both always trying to use their work to gain a sense of worth. That's a spiritual thing, and it's never-ending. And that's why our society today is exhausted. Jesus Christ, in Matthew chapter 11, he says what? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. That's the only prerequisite. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And what? I'm going to give you more work to do because I'm your master? Because I'm your God? No. Jesus Christ is the only master. He's the only God that says, I'll give you rest. The rest that you need. Jesus says, Everyone is trying to get their identity through their work. The Hebrews author says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. He's pointing to Jesus. Jesus says, everyone else is getting their identity. They're trying to define themselves through their work, but only through me can you truly look at yourself, your life, and your work and say, I'm deeply, soulfully satisfied. And only then can you really put it all down. Can you put it away? Well, four, then how do you get it? How do you apply it? You see, this passage is like two scenarios that happened on two separate Sabbath days. The first several verses, Jesus and his disciples are gleaning through the grain fields and they were critiqued for that. Now you get to verse 5 to 11. Here's a man whose hand was shriveled. It's not ironic. You need your hands to work. And so he can't work. You've been designed to work. Work existed before sin and yet this man is unable to work. And he's in front of the Pharisees, and Jesus asks the Pharisees, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? And then he looks at them, and he tells this man, stretch out your hand. You need to know, stretching out your hand is an idiom in, throughout the Old Testament. We saw this in our last, if you were here last week, he stretched out his hand to heal this man. 
right, the leper. In the same way, now he tells this man, I want you to stretch out your hand. What is he saying? Before you were helpless, now I'm helping you. Before you had no power, now the power of God. It's an Old Testament idiom. When you stretch out your hand, the power of God is now extended to you and through you. Moses was known to stretch out his hands before performing a lot of the miracles that we see in the Old Testament. And so in the same way, he says, I want you to stretch out your hands. My power is now working through you. And the man stretches out his hand and he's restored. And that infuriates the Pharisees. Why? Because he says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath, you see? They're saying, well, you're working. And he says, well, I'm working to save. I'm working to restore. I'm working to do good. And that infuriates them because he's saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. These laws are about me. I created the Sabbath. I am God. Look at the authority of Jesus. I mean, that is bold. Look at the power of Jesus. Look at, look at the wisdom of Jesus. Look at the love and the compassion of Jesus. He's claiming to be God that's why they want to kill him. But think, that's what actually made him the Lord of the Sabbath. Because of their desire to kill him, he actually becomes the ultimate Lord of the Sabbath. Why? In Luke chapter 3, Jesus is, is being baptized. And in Luke chapter 3, what the text says is that the heaven opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove and a voice from heaven says, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. In other words, God, the Father, God. He says, I'm deeply satisfied with you. You are very good. But then on the cross, what do you see? Where did God send his son? To the cross. And so on the cross, you see Jesus in his sweating and he's groaning, and he's writhing. Why? Because he's laboring. He's working. And he's crying out. Why? Why do we cry out when we're working? We say, this is a dead-end job. This, is a, this role is a dead-end role, but never like it was for Jesus. You see, we tend to say, well, I'm not seen. I've been demoted. I'm not seen. I'm so low. Never like Jesus. On the cross, Jesus Christ, he experienced the infinite restlessness. The ultimate demotion. This is the high king who came down to serve. And, and it was the ultimate dead end roll, so much so that he died on the cross. And when he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is, I'm not seen. I've been forgotten. Remember, Jesus did everything for the father. His relationship with his father was the center of his worth. That means the Father is what gave him value and significance and meaning. And so he was tied to the Father. He loved the Father. He's with the Father. He's in the Father. And so when he says, my God, my God, you've forsaken me, what he's saying is my identity, my source of worth, they're all gone. I've lost ultimate value, ultimate significance. I'm cosmically and utterly and totally bankrupt in every way. I've emptied myself. Why? Because on the cross, I mean, why do we work so hard? Because we want wealth, Jesus Christ sacrificed cosmic wealth, the heir to the throne. Why? So that we could become a royal priesthood. You have ultimate wealth in him. Security, you want security? That's why we work so hard? Jesus Christ sacrificed ultimate security. He held back the angels on that Friday. Why? So that we would have security. Oh, we say, I work for my future. Jesus Christ sacrificed his future. He died. So we could have eternity in him. Reconciled to the Father. 
We say, well, I work to know my potential. Jesus Christ, you don't think he had potential? He was the most powerful person to walk the earth, and he sacrificed that power. He became powerless. So we can stretch out our hands and do the work of God through our work. You want status through your work? We want to be known? Jesus Christ gave up ultimate status. He was the son of God. Why? So that we could be his children. We would have status. He gave up his position. He gave up his honor. He was cosmically demoted. He became a slave. He was working on the cross, sweating on the cross, bleeding on the cross, dying on the cross. Why? So we would be considered, we would have the rights of sons. Galatians chapter four says that. Before there was creation, before there was cohesion, before there was integration, everything was, it was fit together. Everything worked together. It was very good. God was satisfied. But on the cross, Jesus Christ was being decreated. He was being separated. Instead of cohesion, there was separation. Instead of integration, he was being disintegrated on the cross. And so he experienced the cosmic dissatisfaction, the curse. The curse of sin was on him. Why? So God, he looks back on the seventh day, on the sixth day, and he says, my creation is good, very good. He blessed us. You know that we can be satisfied in him? That, that privilege is only afforded to Christians. Only we, in the midst of all the working and groaning and slaving and laboring sometimes, we have the privilege as Christians to say, I can rest in Jesus no matter where I am at my, in my work. What have you done with your Sabbath? What have you done with your rest? What have you made of your rest? Are you resting in Jesus? And Jesus, he labored to the end until our debt of sin is fully paid and when he secured the ultimate wealth for us, the ultimate security for us, the ultimate future for us, the ultimate potential for us, the ultimate status and position and honor for his people, he said what? It is finished. I'm done. Isaiah chapter 53 says he was satisfied in his work on the cross as he's bleeding and dying. The author of, of, of Isaiah chapter 53 says after the suffering of his soul, that's the cosmic restlessness, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. You know why? Isaiah 53 says he will justify his people. He will save his people. He trusted in that promise. And so when he was done, he was satisfied. He looked to God and said, this is God who's departed from him, forsaken. He looks to God, still trusting in that promise that what he would do would then be afforded for us. He says, into your hands, I commit my spirit. You know what he did? He rested his soul. He died. You a perfectionist? We've got a lot of perfectionists in this room, don't we? You're still trying to finish the work on your own. It's finished, friends. It's finished. Some of us were like, oh, I don't want to be a failure. Jesus completed everything perfectly for you in a way that you could never do, you could never earn, you could never work to pay off on your own. And he did it perfectly for you. That's the only validation that you need. 
Trust in the work of Jesus. That's what a Christian does. A Christian trusts in the work of Jesus, that God accepts us, not on the basis of our merit, but on the basis of Jesus' merit. Not on the basis of our moral record, but on the basis of Jesus' moral record. Not on the basis of our success, but what Jesus successfully achieved for us on our behalf. Not on the basis of our works, day to day, month to month, year to year, career to career, but on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's his person, his righteousness, his work that has been transferred to you so that when God looks at you, the heaven opens up, the Holy Spirit descends on you, in you, resides with you, with power, with boldness. And he says, very good. And you still think that you need the approval of your boss? And you're still working for the approval of your peers? How do we apply this? How do we practice this as I kind of wrap up? A few things. I'm going to say three major things, and we're going to put some practical things in there. In verses 6 to 11, Jesus, he heals this man on the Sabbath, this man with the shriveled hand. Notice, he doesn't say, I've done away with the Sabbath altogether. That's one of the Ten Commandments. He affirms it. But what he says is these Sabbath laws that prevented him from healing this man, they were provisional. They were man-made laws. And he says, well, the real thing is here. That's gangster, right? He said, the real thing is here. I invented it, right? And there he says, the Sabbath laws are obsolete, and he heals the man. Why? What he's saying is, the Sabbath was always intended to restore. That's what he came to do, to restore. The Sabbath was intended to restore you, to restore creation. Before, I mean, you see, the man's hand was, was not working. It was designed to work, and it wasn't working, and now it does. All of Jesus' miracles were really just restorations of nature, bringing, he's basically undoing the curse until one day the curse will be undone forever. All of our bodies will be elevated and reborn in a sense. We will be, we will be, will be completed. We'll have new bodies, fully, fully consummated new bodies in Jesus in the future. How is that gonna restore us here? How is that gonna restore your heart, your soul? A couple of things, I'm gonna give you three things and then we're gonna kind of embed some things really quick. One, Observing the Sabbath has to be an act of deep satisfaction in Jesus. I'm gonna give you a few practical things. One, you gotta meditate on God's word. You gotta meditate on God's promises, on the word of God. You need to do it every day. You know why we need to do it every day? Because we forget every moment. We need to do it every day. To meditate is to reflect on something, reflect on the passage in a way where you're just looking at the character of God, the person of Jesus, the work of Jesus on the cross, just reflecting on the gospel and the beauty of Jesus. Just meditate on it. But then secondly, you need to apply that. So you're gonna move from reflecting on the character and the person and the work of Jesus to reflecting on how Jesus' person and God's character and his work now applies to us as his creation. So it's not just about how it shapes your identity. We tend to internalize that and say, well, you know, I, I tend to be very addicted to my work. It's not just how it shapes your identity. It's gotta shape your function to the degree that it will impact that very next day or that next moment. It's gonna impact your mindset. We, you gotta know the temptations that are lurking every day. It takes a lot of work. You gotta be intentional. You, know, you gotta look and say, this next day, I'm gonna be in front of these people or I'm gonna be serving these people or I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna be tempted to prove myself and to do things just to prove myself and that makes me a jerk and it makes me sometimes awful as a person. It's gonna shape your behavior. It's gonna change your mindset, your response to stimuli. Next, 
The Sabbath has to be met with acts of liberation. Not, not just being satisfied in Jesus, but liberated by Jesus. What has the gospel set you free from? That means, one, you need to end your work every day. You need to end it. You need to say, at the end of every day, it's good. It's finished. Don't run the risk of becoming a slave to your work. Oh, I just need to get this part done, then I'll be done. See, a slave never rests. But we have a God that never overworks us. He never overworks his people. Are you free from that power of work? Can you say no every day? Can you say no at the end of the week? Can you set a time that is reasonable for you every day and say today I will end today no matter where I'm at? Can you say at the end of the week I will observe the Sabbath? That's the second part of this. You need to observe more Sabbath. If you're truly free from the power of work, then it's gonna radically change your view of worship in line with your view of rest. It's not something you do at the end of the long week. You, know, you gotta know that the ancients, they moved the Sabbath day not to the end of the week on Saturday. They moved it to Sunday in correspondence with the resurrection. You know why? What they were saying is, we are gonna start every new week with victory. And that victory has to be synonymous. It's gotta coincide with worship. What are you doing on Sundays? What are you doing with your Sundays? Three, why do we give during worship? Because we say, well, I give my time, I give my hospitality, but if you're not able to give, you're still a slave, you get it? You're not free. By giving in worship, in the context of worship, we're saying my work and my wealth are not what own me, I am free. And so on the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, we give as an act, another act of freedom. Only God is the provider. We said, but I need to provide. Only God is the provider, you see? And so next, Sabbath. The Sabbath has to be an act of dependence on Jesus. We said satisfaction in Jesus, liberation by Jesus, dependence on Jesus. You are not in control of your career or your future or your work. We think we are, but we're not. Even your rest. You are not the provider. Jesus is the provider. Only God is the provider. And he says what? He says rest. Surrender your control. Surrender having to always take matter into your own hands, matters into your own hands. That means, one, you need to know, in the ancient times, they let the ground rest too. They laid their tools down. There was a period of time that they were called to just let their tools down, stop working and tilling the soil. It was an agrarian society, and they were called sometimes even for a year period to let the ground rest. You know what that means? At least once a day, you need to let the ground rest. At least once a week, you need to lay your tools down. And you also need to take a season away from just always strategizing and, 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 and planning for a season and a year. Take some time. But secondly, you've got to balance that with vacations and recreation and inactivity. See, we tend to dwindle the view, our view of Sabbath as just vacation and rec recreation and inactivity, and it's not. None of that stuff is gonna give you the rest that you need, but you do need to let your mind rest too, and it's gotta be undergirded, it's gotta be founded and grounded in being satisfied in Jesus and liberated by Jesus. You see that? Three, we tend to say, well, I don't like giving up control. How do I practice that? How do I practice? Because I'm so, I just like control in my life. You need community. Be accountable regarding your work and your rest. That doesn't mean you're accountable to everyone. But everyone has people in the church that they find to be wiser and older in faith uh, with whom they say, I'm giving you a warrant to arrest me 
keep me accountable with respect to my work-life balance. Now, some of you, you just do inactivity and vacations and getaways and recreation, and then you complain while you're always tired, about you always being tired. That's why. Some of you, you just do recreation and you do it in place of worship, and you're never going to be whole that way because it's, it's not a physical thing, it's a soulful thing. Some of you, you just do everything privately, and you don't realize how powerful of a grip our work has on us. And so because you do it privately, uh, left alone, the work is too powerful. You need community to learn how to rest well. Look, I understand there's some smart people in this room. You're not that smart. I'm not that impressed by you, and neither is God. You see, you can't outsmart your work. You can't outsmart your work, all right? You need to be accountable. Uh, and, and some of us, we meditate on the Bible, we don't apply it. Other people, we just look for the application, the quick hit application, and it has nothing to do with our day. And, uh, and we don't learn to just reflect on the beauty of Jesus and his work on the cross for us. Um, some of you, you're in a season of work. I tend to see this with students, residents uh, in, in the medical profession. It's a long season where you're required to just be on for extended periods of time and you don't get to determine what days you can rest. Well, well then what, what do I do? You're not off the hook. One, I'm gonna give you a couple things. One, you can still do most of the stuff I just recommended. Nowadays, I mean, even with worship, I can't go to worship. It's recorded, man. You know, you can access it. What that means, though, is that you are going to have to be creative. You chose this profession, and that, that profession didn't choose you. You chose this profession. You have to be creative, then. Uh, if this is really important to you, you're going to have to make intentional time to observe your Sabbath. You can still meditate. You can still reflect. You can still apply scripture. You can still worship, because it's at least recorded, right? You can still give. Now we, have, we, have, we do it online. You can still take advantage of small breaks in your life where you can insert rest. You can still uh, connect with other people and have them keep you accountable, right? You can still do all those things. You can still take vacation. You can still do recreation. You can still do inactivity. The problem is we tend to just resort to those things as our rest, and we're not resting well. And spiritually, we're just off kilter. Secondly, you gotta prioritize then these dimensions of rest when you're off. Don't just veg and binge Netflix, okay? You gotta prioritize these dimensions of rest when you're off. You gotta be intentional. It's a discipline. The ancients knew it, and they were, they were, they were wise. Now, these seasons of work, they're not ideal, but what you're doing here, they can still be soulful. So thirdly, every day you need to set especially if you're in there for the long haul. I mean, residents, you're in there sometimes two, three, even four years. Uh, you need to set reasonable expectations with other people with boldness. You need to set it with yourself and with others with boldness. And, and you need to insert reminders of the gospel for boldness. Change what you read. Change what you're listening to. Change what you're watching. Change what you're doing on your drives or on your runs, how you wind down, what you pray for, Pastor, this is an extraordinary situation for me. Well, then it's going to take extraordinary discipline, friends. I mean, that's how you got there, right? Because you're extraordinarily disciplined. We know how to be disciplined professionally, but what means nothing if you're not disciplined spiritually, if you're not disciplined relationally with your God. Take the discipline. 
because then you'll know who you're really doing it for. Will you? Let's pray.